Sup, Budsnet. In reference to the podcast, back at it. For True Crime Tuesday. <laughs> Perfect. Beautiful. Mwah. <laughs> Chef's kiss and all. I had to really uh, focus on that one. That's okay. Um, I am Amanda. I'm Heather. My dad's watching Kill Bill and I can hear that. <laughs> oh, great. I'll probably be able to hear it. I can't hear it right now, but, like, last time I couldn't hear your mom talking, and then I, when I was editing, I could hear her. She's working. So today, we are going to talk about somebody that my dad... <laughs> is it the Unabomber? <laughs> yes. That is exactly why I did not want to tell you. So... As soon as you're like, my dad, I was like, I know who it is. <laughs> I knew you would. So, anyway, my sources were wicked, wicked, Jesus. English is difficult. It, it's so hard. My sources were Wikipedia, the FBI, and timetoast.com, which... It's an interesting website name. I didn't really think about before, but now it sounds terrible. I also don't know literally anything about this. I don't know why you constantly call my dad the Unabomber. Just from that one time. <laughs> but it has nothing to do with the Unabomber. Didn't he wear, like, the hoodie and the hat with, the, like, the hood up? The sunglasses? Uh, that might have been the rendering, like, the suspect drawing, but it wasn't him. When we were at Kenny when your dad like kept like popping out of the bushes. <laughs> I know, but that has nothing to do with the Unabomber. That's why I'm saying like so anyway. So I'd been talking to Joel last night on the phone and he asked me about how we record our podcasts, and then I told him I needed a topic to cover for my next episode. And somehow we got on the fact that Heather always calls my dad the Unabomber. <laughs> so I'm here to once and for all to convince Heather that my dad is, in fact, not the Unabomber. Well, I'm assuming he's either dead or in prison. He is. In prison. So it's obviously not your father. Right. Because <laughs> he um, is neither. And this man does not resemble my father in the slightest. <laughs> so not like BTK and mine? <laughs> <laughs> no, not like BTK. <laughs> I legit think BTK is like a long-lost brother of your father's. And... <laughs> Okay, that's all speculation. Allegedly. No, he's not, but... Well, hey, we don't know who my great-great-grandfather was. Maybe he had extra ones. Maybe. Alright, so let's get into it. My homeboy here... He's not my homeboy. Um, Theodore, which I spelled wrong, apparently. But Google didn't pull it up. Interesting. Anyway, Theodore John Kaczynski was born on May 22nd, 1942, in my absolute favorite city ever. Oh, you're not going to chime in. Was that a sarcastic favorite city? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it left me. Chicago. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> my goodness, I was worried about you there for a second. Um, like, did her screen freeze? What happened? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yes, he was born in Chicago, Illinois. 
And it's not Illinois because there's no noise in Illinois. That joke was not written in. <laughs> Obviously, it did not hit with the audience. So, anyway, his parents were second generation Polish Polish Americans. Supposedly, Ted was a happy baby until severe hives forced him into the hospital and into isolation with limited contact contact with others, which would mean isolation. Thanks, Wikipedia. <laughs> um, and then when he was released, he showed little emotion for months. That's kind of sad. Well, yeah, probably if you're, like, stuck by yourself for how long. Right, and you're a baby. Like, it didn't say what age she was, but, like, that's sad. Probably in the, like, instrumental years you need, like, physical contact. Right. Ted was a smarty pants, and he got to skip the sixth grade with when his IQ was tested at a 167. Damn. And when he got to skip sixth grade, he felt like he did not fit in with older children and was bullied. Um, but when he was with the same age peers, he was socialized and even a leader amongst them. He also skipped 11th grade. Well, he is a little smarty pants. <laughs> he is, because guess what? In 1958, at the age of 16, he entered Harvard on a scholarship. Dang. That's year my dad was born. My dad wasn't even a thought yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ted earned his Bachelor of Arts degree in mathematics from Harvard in 1962 with a 3.12 GPA, though he was expected to have done better than that. Um, okay, I lied. I have more than one joke written in here. <laughs> Uh, cause I said, guys, C's get degrees in undergrad. It doesn't matter what your GPA is. So, and in fact, when I review resumes for anything, I hate when people list their GPA. I don't care what you got. As long as you got the degree. If you have the degree, that means you passed. <laughs> right. That means you had at least a 2.0. I don't care if you have a 3.99 out of 4.0. Like, just means I had more fun than you in college. Yeah, because you were such a partier when you were in college. So while at Harvard, Ted participated in a psychological study. This is fucked up. So he participated in a psychological study where he had to write down his personal beliefs and aspirations. And then an attorney read these essays that he wrote and began to make personally abusive attacks on Ted. This happened for three years, at least once a week, while Ted was hooked up to- And he, like, signed up for this? Yeah. I probably would have, like, one session and been like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he was hooked up to electrodes to monitor his physiological responses to being berated. And he spent over 200 hours in this study. Ew. That's a lot of time doing anything. What? <laughs> Let alone something horrible. Yeah, I mean, that's like five weeks of going to work for like 40 hours a week. That's awful. I mean, and for three years, at least once an one hour a week. Ugh. And he, he was just like screamed at and made fun of for like his personal beliefs and stuff. I would have probably punched the guy in the face. Be like, I'm done. Yeah, or I would have actually just been crying in the corner. Anyway. <clears throat> in 1962, Ted enrolled at the University of Michigan and earned his master's degree in 1964, 
which was the year my father was born, and my mother. And his doctoral degree in 1967, both were in mathematics, but it should be noted that the University of Michigan was not his top choice for his master's and doctoral programs. He wanted to go to UC Berkeley or the University of Chicago. Am I assuming you didn't write those down? <laughs> I did not. I saw you did like the side eye. You're like, I'm like, hmm, what was it? <laughs> I know. I know University of Chicago was definitely one of them, and I think Berkeley was the other one. But, um, and I think it was Berkeley because then, in 1967, at the age of 25, Ted became the youngest assistant professor at the University of California, Berkeley. Um. Which is a huge accomplishment. I mean, at 25, you're practically teaching your peers. So. Yeah. Um, and Bar- berkeleyplax.org says he was the youngest professor ever hired. So I assume that that holds true to this day, but I could be wrong. Um, unfortunately for Ted, though, he wasn't very liked as a professor. And his review said he taught straight from the book, seemed un- uncomfortable with teaching, and refuse to answer questions. Which... It's not like 90% of teaching? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I put afterwards, LMAO. <laughs> like, why would you be a teacher then? Um, without explanation, he resigned from Berkeley on June 30th, 1969. Probably because uh, nobody liked him. <laughs> people at Berkeley said, like, he could have like, progressed up in the mathematics department and, like, been, like, top of the department and stuff. So they were very surprised with his resignation. Um, he moved back home to his parents' home in Illinois for a little bit, and then in 1971, he moved to Montana to a remote cabin where he wanted to live autonomously. Yeah. He taught himself... (laughs) He taught himself survival skills such as tracking game, edible plant identification, organic farming, bow drilling. How do you and- teach yourself to tra- like, track animals? Like, I feel like that's something you either can or can't do. <laughs> I don't know. He did a lot of research, though. And he also learned other prim- primitive technologies. So, I don't know. He he wanted to live off the map, though. But Off the grid? Yeah. Whatever. I knew what I meant. It just sounds weird. (laughs) But again, Ted had some bad luck. Um, He decided it was impossible to live peacefully in nature because the wildland around his cabin was beginning to be destroyed by a real estate development. And this is when he started acts of sabotage. Um, And he started sabotaging the developments nearby in 1975. When he was interviewed after his arrest, he said that he would work on getting back at at the system with revenge rather than trying to acquire further wilderness skills. So he had decided on that in 1975. For some reason. I don't know. I mean, I know it's sad to watch wildlife be destroyed, but, like, you gotta go blowing people up for it. Yeah. Let's get on to the bombings. I did not know how many bombs he sent, so... Yeah, like I, I just assumed, like, never, like, everybody said, like, Unabomber, like, I always took it as, like, a bomb. Yep, no, we'll, we'll actually talk about that, so. Just, just you wait, just buckle up, put on some protective gear, you know, whatever. Okay, so, 
Ted sent his first bomb, and sent should be noted to be in parentheses, not parentheses, quotation marks. Um, so he sent his first bomb to Buckley Christ, a, I assume that's how you say his last name, a professor at... That's an unfortunate first name. <laughs> He was a professor at Northwestern University, and on May 25th, 1978, it was this bomb, a package, rather, was discovered in a parking lot at the University of Illinois at Chicago. The package had Buckley's return address on it, so it was quote-unquote returned to him, but he was suspicious of the package, so he took it to campus police, and Officer Terry Marker opened the package and it exploded and injured his hand. The second bomb was also sent to Northwestern University. John Harris, a graduate student, opened the bomb that was disguised as a cigarette box and received minor cuts and burns. That's a tiny bomb. It was a tiny bomb. On November 15th, 1979, Ted sent his third bomb, um, or actually he set up his third bomb. It was placed in the cargo of a plane going from Chicago to D.C., Fortunately, it did not explode. It did smoke and cause an emergency landing, though. And the boys, you know, the FBI. (laughs) (laughs) I I must have made more jokes than I realized in here. Um, The the last one that I made, though, I know it's going to hit home. I know. It's just going to... It's going to get you. It's going to get you. It's going to get you. It's not going to get anyone else. (laughs) Nobody else is going to understand it. But you, you will. Okay, so so the boys got involved at this point as bombing an airliner is a federal offense. The FBI designated the case Unibomb for University and Airline Bomber. Hmm. Oh, that's kind of where the term Unibomber came from. I assume. That wasn't written in there, but I would have no other way of thinking that's how they got Unibomber. I just always thought it was, like, like unique. Nope. Uni. It's actually not even uni. It's Una. Huh. Una Bomber. Yes. For University and Airline Bomber. Huh. I learned something new today. I guess a Unibomb made more sense than U-ub. Una Bomber. Okay. So, Ted was being Ted, and left false clues in every bomb. One clue was a metal plate stamped with initials FC, which had nothing to do with MFC? (laughs) Nope. Just just FC. He was just fucking a coconut. (laughs) There was no monkey involved. What is that? MFC? MFC? Is that you? (laughs) Could be a melon. Looks like a coconut. Um, The FBI theorized that Ted had a theme of nature, trees, and wood, as he often included bits of tree branch and bark in his bombs, and targets selected were Percy Wood, who we'll talk about next, and Professor Leroy Wood. So he really, really really went for wood. Really liked wood. (laughs) That was not written in here, but that wasn't the joke for you. You'll know. (laughs) I'm really building this joke up and, like... What are you going to do if I don't even laugh? (laughs) Oh, no. I know it. I know you'll laugh. If you don't laugh, I might have to end our podcast. (laughs) It doesn't take much for me to laugh. I know. On 
June 10th, 1980, the fourth bombing was sent to United Airlines President Percy Wood in Chicago. The bomb was disguised as a book and when opened caused damage to his... <laughs> to his what? <laughs> to his wood? <laughs> no! Close! I know what it's supposed to be, but it's not what I wrote. <laughs> I wrote his thing, face, and hands. <laughs> and it was supposed to be his thigh. His thigh. <laughs> God, how mature am I? Not very. Not is the answer. So Percy Wood had damage to his thigh, face, and hands. Was he sitting down when he opened it? Or opened it on a table. Or in his lap. It hurt his thigh. His his thing. thing. (laughs) Oh my. I don't know how he... I don't know. It didn't say how he opened it. It's now time for a story. I edited a bunch of stuff out here. um, But I had to leave this story in because I think it's pretty funny. So please enjoy and then we'll return to talking about the Unabomber. Actually, this is a fun story I never told anyone. Um, the one day during the winter, I was walking home from the bus stop and, like, could barely breathe by the time I got to, like, the corner to round towards, like, my place. Mm-hmm. And this uh, this other overweight man was walking down the road and he was like, what's up, fat bitch? And I was like, <laughs> oh my god. You'd be like, who are you talking to, buddy? <laughs> And, like, he had smiled at me at first, so I and I had my headphones in, so I took one out, and I was like, ah. <laughs> Like, I was going to say hello. I was going to be nice. And I was like... And then you heard what he said. Uh, yeah, and I was like, are you calling me fat because I can't breathe? Cause, like, it's not because I'm fat. Like, I mean, I am fat. Like, I have like, asthma. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have literally a, cannot breathe right I now. I have a disease, thank you very much. Yeah. Right. Is that considered okay. a disease? Um, yeah. Just a respiratory problem. Yeah, but it's still a disease. That's true. And like, I have medical. I have issues, man. <laughs> That's what I should have said. Anyway, okay. You don't even know. <laughs> oh my god! I was on the bus the other day, and <laughs> somebody was like, "Yeah, man, it went somewhere." <clears throat> That's where Benson's it, is. It took everything in my soul to not be, to not say. Yeah, so did Benson's. I feel like that could be one of those phrases, like the Tumblr one. It's like, oh, I like your shoelaces. Thanks, I got it from the president. I don't know that. You never saw that? It was like, that's how you could tell like somebody else was on Tumblr. If you're like, oh, I really like your shoelaces. And if they respond with, thanks, I got them from the president. Like, you both run Tumblr. But I'm on a very different side of Tumblr than you are. Yeah. (laughs) Like, my dark side of Tumblr is, like, very different from your dark side of Tumblr. I'll tell you, I got on the dark side of TikTok somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So many things you can't unsee. (laughs) Let's keep talking 
talking about Ted here. Okay. He sent his fifth bomb on October 8th, 1981, um, but it was diffused before it detonated, and uh, that was at the University of Utah. On May 5th, 1982, the sixth bomb was sent to Vanderbilt University. Janet Smith received severe injuries to both her hands and required extensive treatment. July 2nd, 1982, the seventh bomb was sent to UC Berkeley. The victim received injuries to his right hand and face, but did recover. So has anybody died from it up to this point? Not yet. We've got a couple more bombs to go. On May 15th, 1985, Ted's eighth bomb, eighth bomb. <laughs> oh, see, I'm, I'm trying to do that improvising thing and it's just not working. Didn't work out for me. Jump so the gun. Ted's eighth bomb was, yep, was sent and this was the first one to cause serious injury. John Hauser, a graduate student and captain in the United States Air Force, lost four fingers and vision in one eye. Oh. Yes. The ninth bomb was diffused before detonating and had been sent to Auburn, Washington on June 13th, 1985. There's so many bombs. On November 15th, 1985, the 10th bomb was sent to Ann Arbor, Michigan and caused James McConnell to permanently lose his hearing in Nicholas Suni Suno Sure. Uh, received sharpnel wounds. Shrapnel? No. Shrapnel? Shrapnel. Shrapnel? Sharpnel? You know, whatever. English is hard, man. On December 11th, 1985, the 11th bomb and first fatality happened. Hugh Scrutton, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I can tell it's coming because you're laughing already. <laughs> Well, and if I laugh, you're going to laugh. So that also helps my joke land a little bit better. He was an appliance store owner. So I'm just wondering if he sold tailgate appliance holders. (laughs) See? I knew. I knew you'd Uh laugh. Because I'm a doofus. Um, He was killed by a nail and splinter loaded bomb in his parking lot. And so we're just going to take a pause to explain what a tailgate appliance holder is for those of you who are cultured swines. Um, that would be a hitch. Best known to Heather as a tailgate appliance holder. One time. It was one time. Yeah, but... It's going to haunt me the rest of my life. It was one time that has lasted years. Because I was trying to describe something and I could not remember what it was called. <laughs> I'm not wrong. To be fair, I will give you the benefit of the doubt. Well, no, I, I think you are wrong. But <laughs> I couldn't remember the word hitch either. I, I at least tried. And we were both like... But as soon as I said tailgate appliance holder, you're like, you mean a hitch? No. Yeah. It, it, that's what, so yeah. me not knowing so. triggered what it was. <laughs> yes. But anyway. Um, unfortunately, Hugh did die. On February 20th, 1987, similar to the 11th bomb, the 12th bomb was disguised as a piece of lumber and sent to a computer store owner. Gary Wright went to remove a board from his parking lot, and then it exploded, causing 200 pieces of shrapnel to be propelled into his body. Oh. Yes. Fortunately, he did not die, but he did suffer severe nerve damage to his left arm. 
then Ted decides, you know what? Six years sounds like a good time to take a break. And so he does take a break of six years and does not send any bombs. But during this time in 1990, his father commits suicide after being diagnosed and suffering from terminal cancer. Has nothing to do with this story. It was just on his Wikipedia page, so I did include it. Also, it didn't, like, trigger him to start doing it again? No, because, in fact, um, he didn't send his next bomb until 1993. Hmm. Um, And here he sent it to Charles Epstein and caused destruction of both ears and damaged three fingers. And that was on June 22nd, 1993. Did I say that? Oh, I think you just said 93. I don't think I said the full date. The 14th bomb was sent two days later on June 24th, 1993, and had been mailed to Yale, where it injured David Gelatin? (laughs) David G. Nope. J. Yeah, J. Listen to me. G-E-L-E-R-T-N-E-R. Cheltner? Gelatin? Are you sure? I'm I'm so sorry, David. I don't... Yep, David G. Who lost vision in one eye and part of his right hand. Um, so if you're listening, David, I'm really sorry. On December 10th, 1994, the 15th bomb caused the death of Thomas Moser, an advertising executive. How many bombs is there? And a few months later... Crap. <laughs> 16. A A few months later, on April 24th, 1995, the 16th and final bomb caused the death of Gilbert Murray. Gilbert? Gilbert. Gilbert. Listen to me. Gilbert? Gilbert Murray. That was almost on the perfect date. Did you ever watch Miss Congeniality? No. Oh. It's a... Yes, but I don't remember. The one whenever she's like, they're like, oh, what's your idea of a perfect date? And she's like, I'd have to say April 25th. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. All you need is a light jacket. Yes, I do remember. I I know that quote. I just didn't remember it. In 1995, Ted had mailed several letters to media outlets outlining his demand that his 35,000 word essay, Ew. Industrial Society and Its Future, a.k.a. his manifesto, be printed by a major newspaper and said if it was, he would desist from terrorism. Wasn't there an episode of Criminal Minds with, like, this exact same scenario? Probably. The guy, like, he was, like, about some book? Probably. You're asking the wrong person. You know I don't remember stuff. I do. I know. If only you could have remembered Spanish that well. No. I would have went to college. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Fun little side note, Penthouse offered to publish it, but Ted said that Penthouse was less respectable and that if they published it, he reserved the right to plant one and only one bomb intended to kill. So, the New York Times and Washington Post both published the essay on September 19th, 1995. Which, I mean, he did not kill anyone else, but I feel like that's negotiating with a terrorist. Yeah. I don't know. Pretty much. I mean, I was alive back then, but I don't remember it. (laughs) Not enough to know. (laughs) Yep. So let's talk about the investigation of Ted. The U.S. postal inspectors who initially had responsibility for the case labeled the bomber as the junkyard bomber. 
1979, the FBI took charge and formed a task force of 125 agents from the FBI, ATF, and U.S. Postal Inspection Service. That's That's, a lot of people. There was a lot of them. And it went up, like, it ranged up to 150 people, so. Hmm. Yeah, it was a lot. In 1980, a psychological profile was issued. It described the offender as a man with above-average intelligence and connections to academia, uh, which were true, um, but that profile was discarded and other ones were released later, um, but honestly, that first one was the most accurate. One of them said he was also a blue-collar worker with, like, a job of an airplane mechanic, (laughs) which was not true. So... Um, a 1-800-HOTLINE was set up to receive tips, and a $1 million reward was established for anyone who could provide information leading to the Unabomber's capture. Ted's brother's wife encouraged David, who is Ted's brother, to follow up on suspicions that Ted was the Unabomber. David dismissed this at first, but after reading the manifesto, he began to think it might be Ted. While the FBI was investigating potential leads, David hired a PI to look into Ted and then hired an attorney to organize the evidence acquired by the PI and to make contact with the FBI. David feared a violent confrontation with the FBI and Ted, um, you know, kind of like Waco and Ruby Ridge, so he wanted to protect his brother. And on April 3rd, 1996, Ted was arrested in Montana by FBI agents. He was indicted on 10 counts of illegally transporting, mailing, and using bombs, and three counts of murder. After his attorneys tried to use an insanity defense, he requested to dismiss his lawyers and hire, tried to hire Tony Sarah as his counsel, but this request was denied, and he then tried to kill himself on January 9th, 1998. On January 22nd, 1998, he pled guilty and accepted life imprisonment without parole, Though he did later try to withdraw this plea by saying that he made it involuntarily. Um, But this was denied and the U.S. Court of Appeals even upheld that decision of it being denied. In 2006, some of his items from the cabin were auctioned off to raise money towards his $15 million restitution that he owes his victims. Um, It put the smallest of small dents into that $15 million of $232,000. Which, like, granted, I'd take that money, but, like, that's not even close to paying back his restitution. Yeah. His cabin was on display at the museum in D.C. I'm not sure where it has been moved to since, because the museum did shut down at the end of 2019. Um, The Montana Historical Society was eyeing it up, but I don't know if they've gotten it. Um, So, when the museum shut down, it was returned to the FBI. So... Yeah, don't know where that's located. Also, I mean, I know it was a small cabin, but, like, it must have been real small, because... They're just transporting all over the place. Yeah. Um, the University of Michigan. This is kind of fucked up. I don't understand this. Like, as much as I love the criminal mind and, like, to, like, dive into it, the University of Michigan Special Collection Library houses correspondence between Ted and 400 people since his arrest, including replies legal documents, publications, and clippings, and his writings are some of the most popular selections in the collection. Oh, so he's still alive. Oh, yeah. That's just weird to me. I don't know. Yeah, that's almost like the one book that has, like, humans made out of, like, human skin. Yeah. 
Um, the people that he corresponds with, though, their names are hidden until, I think they said 2049, but don't quote me on that year because I didn't write that down. And my last bullet point and last thing I have on the Unabomber. In 2012, Ted responded to the Harvard Alumni Association's directory inquiry for the 15th reunion of the class of 1962. Would that be 15 years? This would be 50? Oh, yeah. I read 15th. It's 50th. I was like, that doesn't make sense. What did, what did he say? Sorry, guys, I can't make it. <laughs> so, he responded to the inquiry for the 50th reunion of the class of 1962. He listed his occupation as, quote-unquote, prisoner, and his eight life sentences as awards. Oh, goodness. That is fucked up. <laughs> yeah. But did he say, like, sorry, guys, I'm not going to be able to make it? Like, I'm I'm tied up at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I assume. I'm kind of in handcuffs. Sorry. I mean, you guys can come visit me. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I don't know. So, and he's in Colorado. That's where he's in prison. Maybe he's in the, under the airport. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, my God. So weird. I just, that's kind of weird. <laughs> we both had Colorado stories kind of i didn't really mention it but hmm. funny how things work out sometimes all right so until next time let's let's end this part of it we can still talk on skype but let's end this recording <laughs> um yeah neither of us know what we're covering next so send us your ideas because i mean by the time this goes live we'll probably have well we'll probably have already heather will have probably already started researching her next topic I will probably not have. So. <laughs> Listen, I just. With all the coronavirus stuff going on. Let me live. <laughs> if you have any topic ideas, send them to us on Instagram, on Twitter, wherever. Our Instagram is in reference to podcast. Our Twitter is in reference to. You can send us an email at in reference to podcast at gmail.com. You good? Yeah. And wash your hands and don't touch other people. Not touchy. Thanks, Mom. Um, you can also <laughs> listen to some of our episodes on YouTube, as well as help support us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash in reference to, or by using the link in our Instagram profile or our Twitter profile uh, that has links to all of our platforms, as well as Patreon and Rakuten cashback rewards. So if you like to do online shopping and you're not signed up for that, definitely do it and help us out. And it's only a one time. You don't even have to pay us. You literally just have to shop. So, and then it gives me $25 to help support the podcast. So do it. Did you do it? Please. Hello? <laughs> Are you going to go click it? Go do it. Okay. Now that you've done that. Ta-da! Ta-da! <laughs>